Hey family, it's good to be with you. My name is Eddie, and I am the lead pastor here in, at Grace Covenant Church in Sterling. It is a wonderful Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers around. Uh, we're so thankful to be able to celebrate you and to celebrate all that you bring uh, to every family uh, that is with us. We especially want to thank you single mothers for being with us. We love you. We, we're with you. We support you. Even in this difficult moment in time, there's a lot of things that make, make this particular time challenging. And my hope is that as the body of Christ, as, as the family of God, that, that you've been supported and, and loved. And, and if not, we love you. Let us know how we can help you and support you. But we are about family because we are about mothers. And so thank you for being with us this Mother's Day. Uh, two things before we get started. Uh, thank you to everyone who collected, and, and if you contributed to our bag collection this past Saturday, we collected over 300 bags uh, full of food. Most of them were, were about 10 pounds or more, so we got over 3,000 pounds worth of food. It was an amazing moment, and it's going to be a huge help to our community, so thank you for supporting us. If you weren't able to be a part of that, we're continuing to collect uh, uh, all kinds of things on Tuesdays and Fridays from 12 to 3 at our Ridgetop location. So you can bring uh, uh, non-perishable items, um, other kinds of food, box foods, bring them to us and we will get them where they need to be. Also, you can stay involved. Uh, we're still delivering through Mobile Hope. We're working with that organization, Mobile Hope of Loudoun, to, to meet the needs of individuals in our community. Um, and, and secondly, I want to encourage you to stay connected. I, I've said it before, and I'll say it again, stay connected. If you're not involved with a small group, get in a small group. These are, these, these are the ways that we stay connected as a community. As we've said before, the, the mission of Grace Covenant Church is to help people experience community, to uh, uh, help them encounter Christ, experience community, and then extend that kingdom. And experiencing community happens primarily for us in the context of our small group ministries. And so if you're not in a small group, I would love for you to get connected in a small group. You can join us by uh, emailing sterling at gracecove.org, and, and we'll get you into a small group as soon as possible. We're going to be continuing, most of our small groups will be continuing through the summer to continue to support one another, uh, especially in this moment of need and challenge and, and constantly changing tides of, of shifting stuff whether or not things are open or not open or safe or not safe, we are going to be connecting uh, primarily over Zoom or, or Google Meet, and we'd love to see you there. Stay connected. Well, as I said, today is Mother's Day, and you, you know that. If you didn't know that, figure it out quickly and write, make a card for your, <laughs> your mom or your, your spouse. Uh, but, but today we are celebrating and honoring mothers. We're, we're honoring the sacrifices that mothers make to, to support and help and build up their families. And so today I wanted to consider one mother whose life in many ways serves as a backdrop for one of the, the most prominent characters in Scripture, David, but her life is, is not a backdrop when it comes to God's perspective for her. God saw her and, and He saw her, her life and he, he took her from the place of, of brokenness that we see her in 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 second second Samuel chapter eleven, and he he really redeems her life despite the fact that many people choose to use her and and uh, and devalue her. So we're going to look at Bathsheba 
in 2 Samuel chapter 11. I'm going to be bouncing around, but if you just keep your Bible open to, to 2 Samuel 11, I'm going to also refer to chapter 12 and a couple of other places, but we're not going to do the normal thing where we read the initial text uh, the whole way through. Uh, so we're going to look at this woman, Bathsheba. In, in chapter 11, it says this, In the spring of the year, the time when the kings would go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. It happened one late afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house. It's likely very hot during this time, and he's, he's getting out in the cool air. That he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman, and, and one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So we're introduced to this woman Bathsheba. We see that, that she's introduced in verse 3 as the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now, the question we would need to ask ourselves is, who is Bathsheba? Who is Bathsheba? Well, first he says, it's the daughter of Eliam. Now, who is Eliam? If you go to 2 Samuel verse 23, we see that, that there's a list of, of mighty men of God, mighty men who were part of uh, David's inner circle of, of soldiers. They were the Navy SEALs of his army. They were the, the toughest of the toughest of his army. And it says in verse 34 of chapter 23 that one of those individuals was, was Eliam. Uh, sorry, in verse 34. It says, uh, Eliphalet, the son of uh, Ashabai, and he goes on to say, Eliam, the son of Ahithophel of Gilo. So this is, this was an individual who was among the, the mighty warriors, the, the elite, and he was known by David. This is one of David's closest guys, one of his closest soldiers, one of his closest warriors. He was known, and this was the daughter of that man. Now Eliam was the son of, it says, Ahithophel. So who is Ahithophel? Ahithophel, it turns out, is one of David's closest counselors. We see in 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 23, it says this, Now in those days the counsel that Ahithophel gave was as if one consulted the word of the Lord, the word of God. So was all the counsel of Ahithophel esteemed both by David and by Absalom. So we see that, that Bathsheba is not only the daughter of Eliam, but he's She's the granddaughter of Ahithophel. These are two individuals who, who stand prominently in David's kingdom. You know, we might say that they're in, they're in the inner circle. They're in the, the cabinet, as it were. And what does it go on to say in verse 3? Isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? If we go back to that list in 2 Samuel chapter 23, we see that at the end of that list of, of mighty men of God, there's one more name that is named, Uriah the Hittite, 37 and all. It says that in verse 39, that Uriah is, again, one of the most important guys. And we see, we see that Bathsheba is not just some random individual. She's not some person who's, who's walking around, but she is known and well-established in this kingdom. She is not David's wife. She's the wife of another man. She's the daughter of a valued man. She is the, 
granddaughter of a valued uh, counselor. She is a beloved daughter in this kingdom. Bathsheba was known to David. And yet, unfortunately, we see as the story unfolds that, that David abuses his power as king. He calls her to him, and, and they, they, uh, they commit a sin. And because of this, Bathsheba becomes pregnant. It says in verse 5, The woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. And in the rest of 2 Samuel chapter 11, we see David trying to cover his sin and in the process make Bathsheba his wife and a widow. So we see that Bathsheba is this individual who's really being brought into the, the, the fold of David's life, the, the story of David's life, almost against her will, it seems. When we read the text, it doesn't seem to suggest that this is something where she's jumping for joy and into it, and the reality is he is the king, and so there is an authoritative control piece that he is bringing to this equation that makes her situation very difficult, very broken, very dysfunctional, and, and, and very problematic for her. So she is, is faced with this challenge. Now, as I said, King David tries to cover his sin, and we see that in, in verses 14 and following. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab. After, after, he had, after David had tried a couple other things, he goes and he writes a letter to Joab, his general, and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter, he wrote, sent, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. And as Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah the place where he knew that there were valiant men. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab and some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. And we see it go, go on in, in verse 26. It says this. Uh, when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. Bathsheba went from being the wife of Uriah the Hittite, the, the daughter of Eliam, the, the granddaughter of Ahithophel, to now being the widow of Uriah. And she's experienced brokenness and pain and suffering at the hands of David, the man who should have been her protector, the man who should have been her husband's protector, the man who should have represented the righteousness of God. And in some points in life, we experience suffering at the hands of other individuals. And, and the question at hand is, what is God doing in that moment? What is he trying to accomplish? Why is he allowing this to happen? We see that David tries very difficultly to, to cover up his sin. He takes these drastic measures and he, he has Uriah killed. He, he tells his general Joab to, to put him in the front of the fight, to put him out on the front lines, and then to, to pull back any support that they might have. And Uriah dies as a result of it. The reality, though, is that even though David appears to be successful in covering over sin, we'll find out that he cannot cover his sin from God. Family, you and I, we cannot cover our sins from God. We cannot cover our sins. When we fall, our tendency is to, to cover it up. When we, when we sin, our tendency, our, our temptation is to cover it up, to self-justify. You can see this, this inclination in, in even children. When they do something wrong, they, they, they kind of hide and, and, and cover up and try to 
act like something didn't happen, or, or they literally try to cover their bodies. They hide under a blanket because they want to cover over their sin. It's our natural inclination to try and self-justify. And we see that at the expense of Bathsheba and Uriah, David is trying to self-justify, to hide. But he cannot hide against God. Only God can cover sin because only God can forgive sin. I'll say that again. Only God can cover sin because only God can forgive sin. So in trying to cover his sin, David takes the bereft Bathsheba as his wife. He tries to cover it up. He says, well, I can't convince Uriah to come and, and spend time with his wife and, and make it look like it, the child is, is Uriah's child. So instead, I'm going to have him killed. I'm going to have him murdered. I'm going to effectively murder him. And then I'm going to marry Uriah, uh, Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, and make her my own. So it says in verse 27, and when the morning was over, morning as in the, the uh, weeping, the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. The, day, the thing that David had done had displeased the Lord. She's now married to the man that she should have been able to trust as her dead, son, or her dead husband's leader and her own king. She's married to the man who, hu- who, who murdered her husband, and she's pregnant with that same man's child. This is, this is David's child. And unfortunately, as a result of David's sin, it says in, in chapter 12 that this, this child dies. It says in verse 15, Then Nathan went to his house, and the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. David sought God on behalf of the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground, and the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. On the seventh day, the child was dead. The child died, and the servants of of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to the child, Say to him that the child is dead. He may do himself some harm. Verse 19. But when David saw his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. Then David arose, verse 20, from the earth and watched and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he went to his own house. And when he asked, they set food before him, and he ate. Then his servant said to him, What is this thing that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when he was dead, you arose and ate food. He said, While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me, that the child may live. But now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. And we see this heartbreaking moment, this culmination of David's sin, of the brokenness of David and Bathsheba resulting in this, this painful situation where this child dies. Bathsheba goes from being the wife of, of Uriah to being the widow of Uriah to being the, the mother of, of a lost child. She is broken. She is experiencing brokenness, and and perhaps you've experienced brokenness in your own life 
and, and you've asked yourself, God, where are you? What are you doing? God, what am I to make of my situation? What am I to make of the fact that, that much of my situation is not even my own fault, but it's the fault of those around me? If we look at Bathsheba's life, so much of her life was dictated to her by those around her. David's decisions weighed heavily on her life. And we see that there is great pain. But the story of Bathsheba is the story of, of redemption. We see that, that her story does not end here. She, she soon becomes pregnant again. It says in chapter 12, verses 24 and 25. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba. And, and she be, became pregnant and bore a son. And he called his name Solomon. And the Lord loved him and sent a message by Nathan the prophet. So he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. The, the name Jedidiah means beloved of the Lord. And so she becomes pregnant with another child, this child Solomon, this child of promise, this child whose, whose life represented uh, a restoration of, of God's order where a husband and a wife come together in, in marriage and, and they produce a child. Not, not where a, a person's power and, and authority is used and abused for the sake of, of getting what one wants, but rather a husband and a wife in love, they, they produce this child. And Bathsheba becomes the mother of Solomon, and we find out that she becomes the queen of Israel. Bathsheba's second son, Solomon, is one of the wisest people who ever lived. It says in, in 1 Kings that he was the wisest of all the of the all the individuals around in in 2nd Kings or sorry 1st Kings verse chapter 4 verse 30 it says Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt he was wiser than all the other men wiser than Ethan the Ezrahite and Hermon and Calcol and Darda and the sons of Mahol and his fame was was all in the surrounding nations he was famous for his wisdom and we see that he in in, in the book of Proverbs he he writes much of it and there's a great deal of wisdom that he gives to his people. And where does he get this wisdom? Much of it he gets from his mother, Bathsheba. She pours out her life into him. She pours out her love. How many of you have, have stories and, and proverbial sayings and things that you remember that were shaped in you by your mother? Things that your mother said to you over and over and over again that, that were as a result of, of her own experiences that shaped your life and you lived that way. You, you experienced life that way. I'm reminded of uh, the, the movie Forrest Gump, which I'm not necessarily uh, encouraging, but there's, there's a saying that, that the main character says, uh, stupid is as stupid does, and it's something that comes up over and over again, and it's a saying that his mother had told him over and over to remind him that, that your behavior reflects your, your intelligence. And, and this was something where her wisdom informed his wisdom. And so we see that Bathsheba's life and her brokenness and all the things that she had learned informed Solomon in his life and, and shaped much of his history. Not only this, but after David's death, Bathsheba sits at the right hand of Solomon, advising him as the queen of Israel. It says in, in Second Kings, or sorry, First Kings chapter two, verse 19, specifically that, that she sits at his right hand. So Bathsheba went to King Solomon to speak to him on behalf of Adonijah, and the king rose to meet her and bowed down to her. Then he sat on his throne and had a seat brought for the king's mother, and she sat on his right. Bathsheba had a place of, 
of honor. She had a place of, of renown, of dignity in the kingdom. She had gone from being the, the broken and, and, and in many ways used uh, woman and wife of, of David to now being held in honor by her son, Solomon, able to, to bring about influence in his life and influence in the kingdom of Israel, influence as the queen. And she imparts wisdom to Solomon. Not only that, but through her mothering, if we step back, we see that, that we are given the lineage of Jesus. And if you go to Matthew, you see this amazing, you know, you ask yourself, why are genealogies in the Bible? You know, maybe you're, in, you're reading the Bible, reading through the Bible, and you, you stop on genealogies, and you so-and-so begat so-and-so, who was so-and-so begat so-and-so, and so-and-so, and you're like, why is this in here? Well, part of it is to see the way that God weaves together his story of redemption. And if we look in, in the book of Matthew, chapter 1, we see in verse 6 that Jesse was the father of David the king, and David was the father of Solomon. And it says it's by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and it goes on. And, and in, in all the other, or most of the other places in this genealogy, the, the wife is not included. It's the, the husbands that are included, the fathers that are included. But here, Matthew takes a moment and say, that, that brokenness that we saw in 2 Samuel, that, that sin that we saw, God used that. He redeemed it, not only just to make her life a little bit better, not only to make Solomon's life a little bit better, but God weaved that into the story of redemption in, and into the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus is great, 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 great grandmother I don't know if that's enough greats, but her, his great-great-great-grandmother was Bathsheba. We see that, that God was willing to weave in the brokenness of her life into the life of Jesus Christ. She is the queen of Israel and establishes in a legacy out of which comes Christ our Lord. Bathsheba's life is characterized by brokenness and sin and suffering. She's treated wickedly by David, suffers a painful loss of a child, and throughout much of the story, she appears to really play a secondary role to others like David and Solomon. And yet, God uses her life to shape the history of Israel. Now, mothers, I know that there are moments in your life where you look at your life and you consider yourself to be a secondary character in the life of your husband and your children, or just your, your children. You, you, you feel like a second-class individual. And my encouragement to you is that God is weaving a story in which your life is, is important. Your life is necessary. Your life is beneficial. God used her to shape the history of Israel. Through her mothering, we're given the lineage of Jesus, as I said. And we see that Jesus comes on the stage, and he, he's the better king than David. David was supposed to give us a picture of of Jesus and, and this fall with Bathsheba was, was one of the ways in which his picture was imperfect. Jesus would be the better king. He would be the wiser king than Solomon. If we follow Solomon's life, it has an upward arc and then a downward arc where, where his, his wisdom is, is met with some foolishness. But Jesus is the better Solomon. And, and Jesus is the one who would, as Psalm 147 say, heal the brokenhearted and bind up their wounds. Jesus was the one who was promised to come to heal the brokenhearted, brokenhearted people like Bathsheba, to bind up their wounds. 
God used and redeemed her broken life, and God can do the same for you. This God sent Jesus to be the better David, to pay the price for sin and cover sin, not with a cover-up, but with his own blood. And unlike David, who chose the life of Uriah over, over being honest about his own sin and, and, and sacrificing his own sin, Jesus, the grandson, the great-grandson of, of, of Bathsheba, gave his own life for sinners like you and me. And the question today, the, the life that, that Bathsheba lived asks us what kind of life we're going to live. Are we going to fall into this lineage of Jesus Christ? Are we going to trust in Jesus to bring uh, wholeness to our brokenness? Are we going to trust Jesus to cover over our own sins and instead of trying to cover up our own sins? Are we going to trust God or are we going to try and cover things ourselves? Are we going to trust God or are we going to cover our own things? Would you trust him today? Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have given us difficult stories, real life stories in, in your word to give us a picture of what it looks like to see your redemption. Lord, we thank you that, that like Bathsheba, even though we feel maybe like there's brokenness in our life, that maybe we're playing a secondary role, God, that you have a plan and a purpose for our life. And that plan and purpose centers on your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, God, that, that even though Jesus was greater than David. He chose to lay down his life unlike David. That he chose not to, to, to run away, but he chose to cover our sins with his blood. If you've never trusted Jesus as your own Lord and Savior, if you've never, if, if you're still trying to cover up your sin and you realize in this moment that you can't, if, you, if you've tried to, to fix the brokenness, brokenness in your life, that was maybe caused by your own decisions or the decisions of others, but you realize that you can't. My encouragement is that Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted and to bind up the wounded. Jesus came to cover our sins with his blood. And today he invites you to trust him, to trust his life, his death, his resurrection, to be the sufficient covering for your sin, to give you a new story to give you a new lineage, to weave you into his story. If that's you, just pray with me. Say, God, I want to turn away from everything I know to be sin, everything I know to be disobeying your rules and your law, and I want to turn to you. I bring my brokenness to you and I trust you to heal it. I bring my sin to you and I trust you to cover it up. I bring my life to you and I, I ask that you would take it and redeem it. Jesus' name. Amen. If that's you, if you prayed that prayer, let someone in the chat know. Email us at sterlingatgracecov.org. We would love to connect with you. We would love to be able to walk out this life of faith with you. It was never meant to be lived alone. Well, family, we are continuing to be a blessing to our community. We're continuing to seek the benefit of our neighbor. We're continuing to try to, to love God by loving our neighbor. And so today, I want to invite you to take part in our benevolence offering. This offering goes toward every effort that we have to care for our community, whether it's buying food for the needy, it's, it's providing toiletries and other things for those in need, it's helping individuals who have specific uh, needs that they can't meet on their own. This is a moment for you to love your neighbor 
well. If you'd like to give, you can give in a number of ways. You can give by, by check. You can make that check payable to Grace Covenant Church and write Sterling Benevolence in the memo and send it to our uh, church office, 21631 Ridgetop Circle, Suite 200, Sterling, Virginia, 20166. Or you can give online at, at gracecub.org slash sterling, press, uh, press the give button. Or you can give through our mobile app. However you do it, thank you for doing it. Let me pray for that. Father God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the, the generosity of these people. And we pray that you would take this offering and use it for your benefit. That you would benefit our community and ultimately glorify the name of your son, Jesus Christ, in our community. We pray this in Jesus' name family, it is time to say goodbye, but before we do, let me, let me pray this over you. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Amen. Love God and love your neighbors this week.